This show is sponsored by the Bitbox O2 by Shift Crypto. If you're new to Bitcoin, congratulations, you've made an excellent life choice. But you do not want to be leaving your Bitcoins on exchange. Bitcoins, Bitcoin, however you like it, don't leave it on exchange. It's not yours unless you custody it yourself. Not your keys, not your coins. Understand that. If you would like to take self-custody, and you should, the Bitbox O2 Bitcoin-only hardware wallet is a great way to do that. Super easy to use, a great interface, it's perfect for beginners. And of course, if you're listening to this and you're more experienced, which is likely the case for many of you, if you'd like to connect via Tor or have coin control or uh, use it for your multi-sig setup, get a different hardware uh, provider in the mix, minimize your, um, your supply chain attack surface, then it's a good option. I recommend you go to the website, check out all the specs, and make a decision for yourself. If you'd like 5% off, go to shiftcrypto.ch forward slash rapidfire. And if you're looking for a way to buy Bitcoin, or if you're looking for a better way to buy Bitcoin, I'm extremely proud to announce that Bull Bitcoin has become a sponsor of this show. I love the guys behind Bull Bitcoin. The ethos and the principles with which they do everything over there is so well aligned to the ethos of Bitcoin and privacy and self-sovereignty. And uh, I couldn't be more jazzed to have them come on as a show sponsor. If you're in Canada and you're looking for the best way to acquire Bitcoin that preserves your privacy with a non-custodial exchange, I highly recommend you check Bull Bitcoin out. And they've got a lot of exciting things uh, in the works for a broader international audience which again is all about helping people to establish greater sovereignty over their savings, over their Bitcoin, and ultimately over their life. So if you'd like to learn more, go to bullbitcoin.com and check them out. Let's do it. What's up, man? Yo, yo. Can you hear me? Yeah, I got you. Can you hear me? Cool. Yep, good to go. Sweet. Sorry delay, man. You're good. Um, yeah, so... Uh, I just wanted to, you know, basically the backstory for, uh, for why I reached out to you is I, it's kind of what I've always done since I've been doing the podcast, but I follow people on Twitter and if I feel compelled to reach out and say, Hey, do you want to hang out and jam? Then that's what I do. And, uh, you know, that's what happened here. So I don't have any cool. particular objective with this. I just thought we could hang out, <clears throat> chat, you could share your story and some of your thoughts and we just take it wherever it goes. Sounds good to me, man. Sweet. All right, let me get this fired up. It's crazy. I honestly, like, I, I, I knew your name. Same, same kind of concept, just like Twitter, follow the people that are interesting in Bitcoin. But like, I really, I think, got my first a kind of real introduction to you just a few weeks ago with the, with the Jordan Peterson interview, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which was like, man, what an excellent, excellent podcast. Thanks, dude. That was fun. I that can was imagine. A lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Jordan's been awesome, man. Found him back when I first, first, like I found Joe Rogan and like we're right we're around live, the time. We're live, by the way, but continue. Cool, cool. <clears throat> yeah, no, it's just like, um, first time I heard of Jordan Peterson was Joe Rogan, which was, I, I found Joe Rogan literally at the same time that everything was going on at, at uh, Mr. Peterson's school. So it was like he was on Joe Rogan for the first time right when I found Joe Rogan. So he's he's been oh, somebody really? I've paid attention to since a few years back now. So to like see him kind of find his way into Bitcoin is a pretty, pretty cool 
little thing going on right now. Yeah, for sure. It must have been interesting to to get introduced to Rogan and Peterson at the same time, because I think most people had been like listening to Rogan for a long time. And, and then Peterson was just this like, <clears throat> you know, this personality that blasted onto the scene and was so, you know, was obviously such a heavyweight intellectual and had and articulated things so well and, and actually had the guts and the courage to speak to the crazy shit that was happening in the culture and, and actually be a part of resisting some of it. But <clears throat> But both at the same time, it must have been an interesting mix. Yeah, for sure. As, as Joe Rogan is amazing. What he does with his platform is next level. And just like the fact that there's so many powerful people that show up on there, it's, it's a great place to like really get a, a new worldview if, if you need one. Totally. You know, it's so funny about Joe and like I have the utmost respect for him. But he, he just is a curious person who's not afraid to follow his curiosity. You know, like it, yeah. it's so funny that, at, you know, as people create media and they produce content and stuff like the inclination to try to cater what you're doing to a particular audience or a particular ideology or message or whatever is very insidious. You know, like even if you're even if you're not actively trying to do that, right, even if you're not actively trying to, to grow an audience or whatever, like just the maybe it's just that constant feedback of like doing something and then being able to see the mirrored image of it because it's on digital media like it's almost like unavoidable that you would look at that and be like well how can i how can i change this in a particular way and then the question becomes well like what particular way do you want to change it and i I find with joe like you know he just says what comes to his mind like he's speaking to millions of people and a lot of people would take that and be like i better watch what i say right like i better I better be right. careful about this or that. And, and he's just like, fuck it. Like, I'm, you know, from day one, it's been about my own curiosity. I'm going to have the people in the conversations, the people on in the conversations that I want to have. And that's amazing. You know, I think many of us try to follow in those footsteps by just doing this so that we can exercise our own curiosity, not for any other primary motivation. Yeah, it's fair enough. I feel like, um, I, at least in the podcasting space, I can't speak for all the spaces, but in the podcasting space, I feel like, one of the advantages Joe had with not falling into that trap is that, I mean, he was one of the starters. Like he kind of created the podcast space, if you will. Like there were a few people before him and he's had some of them on his show he's friends with, but like he was so early into the space that the idea of catering to a particular crowd was irrelevant. Like there weren't groups of crowds in podcasting. There was just people who knew about podcasting and knew about Joe Rogan. So like, that curiosity that he had it it wasn't it was so early on that that outside like force I don't think that you just described was as prevalent as it is today if you're just trying to get started today that that outside forces because there's so many more like diversified groups and pods that exist inside of the media space now I I found it with Instagram I I tried to do like a travel photography thing. I took my camera, I put my life in some backpacks and I I went on a one-way trip. But by the end of the year, it was just like, it was no longer fun. I found that it was just like this. I'm out to try and get the perfect shot. Like I got to find the exact thing that's going to break the algorithm and, and reach the right people. And it was just like, I was just no longer really enjoying just like being out in nature, taking photos. Yeah. You know, that's a great point. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I like Twitter for that reason. It's like, to some extent, I am in my little echo chamber inside of Bitcoin Twitter, but like the, 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 
the energy there hasn't seemed to really, at least as far as I can tell, I don't feel like it's pressuring me to go in any particular direction. It's just a place where I can go and speak what's on my mind. So I couldn't agree more, <clears throat> you know, and, and Bitcoin Twitter gets a lot of heat for a variety of things. And I think most of it, if not all of it is actually misplaced. I mean, first of all, if there's someone you don't like on Twitter, mute them, unfollow them. Like you, you don't have to interact. So what are you bitching and moaning about? Um, but the other thing is, is like what I love about this community, whether whatever personality you have, and I use community network, whatever, uh, whatever word suits your sense, your semantic sensibilities. But um, it's a, it's a, I, in my interpretation, it's about honesty. Like uh, you can be a dick, you can be wrong, you can be whatever, but as long as you're honest, then it's, it's cool. And, and humility is an inseparable part of honesty, right? Because being honest about what you don't know, right? So there's many kind of like offshoots of, of honesty, but I think that's the core of it. And that's why, you know, in, in addition to the feeling that we're at the foundational time and period of an emerging cultural phenomenon, like that makes it so appealing to interact and engage as much as we do. But I agree to, to the point you're making about Instagram, like it always seems great, right? Like you look at some Instagram accounts like, wow, they make money by traveling around the world and staying at luxury hotels. What a great fucking life, right? And for some, you know, the people that got in early or whatever, maybe that's the case, but like anything, man, the grass is always greener, right? And if you're not, you know, in my opinion, you just got to do the things that bring you the most joy and meaning and, and like set you on fire the most. And like you said, like, if it becomes like a job where you go into all these amazing places and all you're trying to do is get that great picture that's going to get all the likes and stuff, then you kind of destroy the joy from it, right? Yeah, totally. And it, so, was, you know, it, it went from a learning experience to just like this thing I was doing. And I was just like, nah, I don't want to do this anymore. So I just kind yeah. of like towards the end, I just like tailed off of like following the Instagram thing and just kind of enjoyed my travels. And then it wrapped up shortly after I came to that place where I was like, this is not as fun as I thought it was going to be. It was like, I listen, I was on the right path. If I had wanted to continue with it, I probably could have, but it was going to be a lot of work for something that didn't really seem to be the beneficial ends I thought I would find. So yeah. it was just time to switch gears. Yeah, man, I, I've done a lot of traveling and been to a lot of amazing places and, and a lot of unique circumstances. And I always kind of reflect like, man, I should, I should capture more of this because it's like really unique. And I think it would be interesting, but I always default to being like, I'm getting so much satisfaction and joy out of like engaging in this moment now and creating the mental memories. I don't want to detract from that by, by trying to, you know, capture it digitally, you know? So, right. and you got to find a, a happy medium, I guess, but mine seems to be like, no, no content capturing pretty much as I travel and do these things because I'm so adamant about like getting the full experience of it and requiring my full attention, you know? I think it also has to be like, it would make more sense for you in that situation if it was like, if that was what you were gonna, if, if your passion was like, I need to share these types of experiences with people so more people get out there and find it for themselves, then maybe it makes more sense. but unless that's the passion, then you're like, you're taking away from your own beneficial experience, trying to, to follow something that isn't really beneficial for you. So yeah. that's where I found it too, is like, 
I personally, I'm just at this point where it's like, I, I love travel. I, the experience of like putting my life in a couple of backpacks and just buying a one-way ticket to Africa changed everything for me. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't think any video skill I have or any amount of energy I could put into it would really help someone else understand what I experienced. You just have to do it. Like if you want to really experience what travel can offer you, like you don't get it through my YouTube video or any other, I've like never had anything remotely as like experiential watching a travel YouTuber as I did just being on a random bus in South Africa, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, um, I know this is a large question, but tell me about yourself. You know, you were talking about taking a year to go travel and, you know, I read from your Twitter bio that you're a a veteran and stuff. So um, what's your rabbit hole story or however much of it you want to share? Sure. Uh, That is it. A relatively broad question, but um, <laughs> where to begin? I guess we'll just go back to childhood briefly. It's like I grew up in a relatively lower middle class, um, rural, suburban neighborhood in Western Pennsylvania. Single mom most of my youth, stepdad later in the youth. Found myself in some real troubles in my teens, kind of extra rebellious, selling drugs, getting myself in a lot of trouble, hanging out with the wrong crowds. I found myself in a McDonald's drive-thru, like waiting at the second window for a cheeseburger when the cop like turns on his lights and sirens behind me. And I hit this point in life where a little voice in my head was like, maybe you should just try something different. Like whatever you're doing doesn't seem to be working. Try something different. So shortly after that night, I ended up talking to an army recruiter. They basically said, we can eliminate this criminal record. We've got some cash for you. You might learn some skills that'll be useful in the real world. So I signed the paperwork. I left seven days later. Uh, wow. Four, four, yeah, four years of that. I, I, I went to become an army combat medic. I, I was told I was going to be a healthcare specialist, which seemed more clinical and like less warlike than what the job actually entailed. But, you know, it is what it is. What that experience? What, what did the job entail, and where was it? So, healthcare specialist. I found out during basic training is the classification they use, um, because by labeling it a combat job, at least at the time, I don't know if these rules have changed, but at the time, a combat job couldn't be operated by a woman. So, they they label it healthcare specialist because there are actually roles that are on bases all the time that don't actually go out off um the front lines in afghanistan or iraq so a healthcare specialist was the role they've got these fancy recruitment videos of people in scrubs quick flashes of people in uniform with guns but like right back to the clinic and yeah the job for me basically entailed um training and then straight off to the 101st airborne where i spent three years and one of those years in afghanistan so basically the job is like somebody's somebody's dying my job was to stop them from dying long enough to get them on a helicopter and get them to the guy who like actually fixes it so bullet so hole you, like stop the bleeding leg I, missing stop the bleeding right so obviously any of this you won't you don't want to discuss that's fine but i'm just going to ask you the questions that conjure that bubble up in my mind but so you would be you'd go out into the field right there'd be a skirmish, a firefight, a battle of some kind, and people would get wounded and you'd be the one to have to go. Someone would pull them off the field and you'd be the one to like, you know, 
yeah. help them, you know, like you just said, stop the bleeding, preserve their life long enough to get to someone who can help them more. Correct. What, what I got. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I was just, the question was going to be more broadly, like what was the experience like in Afghanistan as, you know, a U.S. military member, like what was the fight like? What were the politics like? What was the camaraderie amongst the guys like? What was the whole experience like? Yeah, man, great question. It's um, it's fascinating how much mindset shifts over the years because if you'd asked me that question a couple of years ago, some of the answer would have been different. But I guess really the, the camaraderie is everything. So like I've, I've had this conversation with um, people actually surrounding the topic of Bitcoin where it's like these guys have a lot of power. They have money. They're able to buy soldiers like when they really want to like if they really want to squash this thing like they'll be able to pay people with their infinite cash and i'm like maybe but like i know from my own personal experience under the obama administration there were times when the government was being talked about being shut down and even while we were in afghanistan there were rumors that was like you guys might not get paid and even leadership like my leadership is like no nah, we're not i'm not going out like I'm not going out on the mountain to like fight if you're not giving me the paycheck. And it's like, it's, I'm there for the guy next to me and I'm there for the money. Like as much as people think outside perspective is like, it's all patriotic and like freedom for America. Like if you talk to most soldiers or veterans, like an, and if they're honest with you, I think an overwhelming majority of them do it to like better their life. They like they see an opportunity to like get themselves out of trouble, get an education in something that might be useful for them, find some discipline. Um, and then once you get in, you have that like that group mentality where it's like you eat, sleep, breathe, and bleed with the people around you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So that's what it's about. It's about the paycheck and it's about the camaraderie. I'm only going out there because I care about the people with me and because you're paying me to do it. And like kind of coming back to that concept of the, the conversation around Bitcoin is it's like, if we keep going down the path where the dollar gets less and less and less valuable at like, at some point, no one's going to go fight for it. Like, it doesn't matter how much of it you give me. If it's like, if it's a useless piece of paper that doesn't hold any value, I'm not about to go. And I think a majority of people are probably not about to go try and die for it. So that's a positive note. Like as yeah, they destroy sure. their own currency, they destroy the capabilities they have to pay for the, the soldiers that like could really try and be useful to them to squash the opposition, if you will. Yeah. When you're there, like, and you know, you have that kind of brotherhood and you're, you're following chain of command and you're there, as you say, primarily because you're playing to your own incentives and that's perfectly natural. But is there a sense of like, apathy or jadedness just about like once you've made the commitment to be there and you're there and you're doing the work and you're in the chain of command is there just a sense like there's not even a point of thinking about like why you're there or or the, the philosophy or ideology behind it because you're there and you're part of a chain of command and you've made the commitment so who cares about the why mm, it's it's deeper than that it's um this is where the military does a really good job especially <laughs> the, the incentives 
for what we just discussed with like who kind of finds themselves in the military, like an overwhelming majority of the enlisted people come from a very young age from their troubled pasts and backgrounds. So as we know, prefrontal cortexes, according to science, are not even really fully developed until 25. If, if you get somebody at 18 years old, you've got seven years of really being able to influence the development and the path in which they, they develop, they grow. And politics aside, ideological viewpoints aside, even morality aside, the understanding that you're trained to know that like in Afghanistan, in Iraq, at war, everybody's the enemy. It, it becomes very, very, very easy to fully encompass that understanding the first time somebody dies. Like once you're there and once- you mean one, one, of, person, your, one of your yeah. team dies, yeah. Yeah, once one person over there kills one person over here, everybody's the bad guy women children babies they're all terrorists what level of training are they at and to be honest that me up like i spent years really trying to honestly just more than anything repress who i had been thoughts i had had actions i had taken Mm -hmm. it didn't work honestly the more i tried to repress it the more i tried to ignore it the more unhealthy my life became post Afghanistan. I was a raging alcoholic with a crazy anabolic steroid problem. Like I was just like meat and potatoes, alcohol, and like raging out at the gym six hours a day, had no healthy relationships, like treated everybody like shit. Cause I treated myself like shit. Like, and, and honestly was completely unaware of it. If you had asked at the time, plenty of people did plenty of people made suggestions i still had that same army mentality there's nothing wrong with me like i'm completely fine Mm -hmm. and and i think personally it's one of the missions i have is like really trying to help veterans like find peace for and help people in general avoid ever having to find themselves in that situation like war is I've never been to hell, but I like imagine if I ever get the opportunity, it probably still won't be as bad as war. So I'd like really more than anything to like make sure that people don't find themselves unnecessarily in that situation. And that brings me to Bitcoin. It's like my kind of like rabbit hole beginning. Um, Shortly after I got out of the military, I had this like subconscious just feeling this gut feeling that revolution was imminent i started telling everybody like family members friends this would have been shit i got out in 2012 so by by late 2012 early 2013 i just had this feeling this like gnawing feeling what because a lot of it had to do with the fact that i was trying to reintegrate into a society that i no longer understood something felt off broken me partially but like nothing made sense and it was just like something's wrong something's broken something has to change and so it was like this revolution is imminent a revolution is coming you should prepare you should be ready for it and it it never really went anywhere but i just knew it was coming and in late 2016 early 2017 uh the only like real relationship i had formed with my then girlfriend fell apart 
Uh, I found myself on the edge of my bed for the umpteenth time, finding myself suicidal. And that same little voice that I had right when I joined the military came back. It was like, maybe you should just try something different, like anything different. I had already just recently discovered Joe Rogan's podcast. One of the themes he always talked about was like, hey, man, if all of the traditional stuff isn't working, like if you've exhausted all the options in the traditional route, then like maybe these things people are telling you aren't the right option that feel right to you might just be the right option. Like people are saying mushrooms are bad, but like lots of people are saying mushrooms are good. Like yoga is just for soccer moms, but like yoga is hard as hell and like actually makes you like reevaluate your own life. So I ended up finding myself in a yoga studio, ended up going through yoga teacher training. Five weeks after I found myself in the studio, I was working my way into like going through developing that practice a lot deeper. And a guy I went through class with when I was going through yoga teacher training, he actually introduced me to Bitcoin. Young kid. At the time, he was probably like 22 years old. I got a 10 minute intro. It was like literally just enough to like, okay, that's interesting. Kind of aligns with some of my worldviews. That was it. Just literally just enough to be like, Okay, some interesting new tech. Shortly after that, whispers in the wind, I hear the price is up to $500. I tell my parents, I'm like, you guys should buy some of this. I think this is gonna be the future. My mom and my stepdad are like, well, where do you buy it? How do you buy it? No idea. So that was the end of that. I, I shortly after that got fired from my job at Starbucks for being honest. Um, and then some- what? I was interviewing for a promotion after a couple of months. I, a lot of the employees there didn't like my like gung-ho, like really aggressive, like let's get stuff done kind of military attitude, I guess. And it, it turns out that somebody had told my manager that I ate pot cookies in my free time and then come to work. And I was just honest. Like she asked me at the end of the interview, she's like, somebody brought to my attention that maybe you like you use marijuana and then come to work and I was like I she's like the store manager but she knew everything about me she knew I was using psychedelics in my free time like I was going through yoga I was I'm an open book I, you can ask me anything and if you really want to know I'll tell you and I coming back to your point about honesty inside the bitcoin twitter space I I think personally it's just a, a valuable life lesson there's no point in lying it doesn't do you or anybody else any good it's like mm -hmm on my list of like guiding principles truth is number one so Amen. she asked and i was just like yeah i eat hot cookies at home and then sometimes i come to work like what about it and it <laughs> and, and and that was that and she was like well i she was she went the route of like i have to talk to higher ups and see what i'm supposed to do next and obviously we all know where that went so two weeks later i come in and she's like hey sit down we gotta have a talk I got to let you go for like five minutes. I was like, I'm going to sue Starbucks for liable. You have no idea. Like you couldn't tell me when, where, how, like, this is ridiculous. If I'd got caught snorting cocaine off the bathroom toilet and just lied about it, I'd still have my job. I tell you, I eat a marijuana cookie at home and then I work at Starbucks and I'm fired for that. That's pretty pissed, but I went to a yoga class. I like shed two tears and I let it go. Three days later, I decided I was going to do three sensory deprivation sessions in one week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. That completely interfered with my typical yoga schedule at the time. 
So I went to some random new yoga class and in walks this girl from California. She's like working in the medical marijuana industry. She presented an opportunity to take a trip to California and work inside another industry that I was pretty interested in, had been involved in since 16, which was marijuana. And I went and I, that spawned kind of the five years of the travel phase of my life. And all of those years, Bitcoin was always just this background thing. It was never like a very conscious, I'm all in, I'm studying it, I'm paying attention to it. But everywhere I went, it was always there. Like I had conversations that deepened my understanding of it with a professor I had in San Francisco. And then when I left and went on my year backpacking trip, I was like, I had conversations with hostel owners in South Africa, with like a, a business major who was taking a year off to go abroad on the front steps of a hostel in Romania. And, and all of these two or three hour conversations just added a little bit more to that like background philosophical understanding I had of it. And, and then the crash of 2020 happened and I left San Francisco and me and my whole van life crew was like, 16 of us were all on the road and I'm just telling everybody I'm like guys I don't I don't know everything there is to know about this thing but I know that this exact moment in time is exactly what it was built for you should you should buy some bitcoin because I'm watching everybody like open fidelity accounts and they're like day trading and buying into tesla and all kinds of crazy stuff and I'm just like guys bitcoin buy some bitcoin just believe me like this is this is the moment to buy bitcoin but I didn't live it because at the time I had just gotten back from my year around the world. I had just bought a FedEx truck that I was in the process of converting into an off-grid house. All of my capital at the time was kind of flowing into that build, which in hindsight, March, 2020 is gonna be, that's, that's gonna be the moment in time financially I look back at <laughs> as like the, the missed opportunity of my life, but whatever, I got, I got my off-grid house covers the cost of basically everything now. So we're good, but forever going to look back at that moment and be like, damn, I messed up. But a few months later, I finished the truck. I started diverting all of the capital I still had flowing in that was left into Bitcoin. Um, Came into an early inheritance in late July of 2020 and dumped all of it into Bitcoin. And basically after March 20 through that time frame, I really started to study Bitcoin after I got that inheritance and obviously kind of threw the entirety of it into Bitcoin. At that point, it was like, okay, now I really need to know everything there is to know. And, and that began the like 12 hours, 13 hours a day of just like all day, every day studying and being involved in Bitcoin, found my way to Bitcoin Twitter, started reading books, started doing podcasts, like anything I could get my hands on to get more information. a lot <clears throat> all right first i want to you know i don't want to hang around on this unnecessarily but i think it's you know when you mentioned that you you make the commitment to just back to the military period for a second like you make that commitment and you know because of all the benefits of doing so and then you mentioned like once one of your team member die team, team members die then then basically the hate is comes on right it sounds like it it's like before you know you were, there was a lot of rationalization and all this kind of stuff. But once that singular event happens, then it's just raw hate, us versus them, and that's it, right? And Absolutely. 
you know, I think there's definitely a parallel in what's happening today, which is why so many in the Bitcoin space try to be vocal about the dangers of, of segregating humanity and segregating society along certain lines. Because once you create the schism, then allowing hate to creep in is basically an academic step. And once that happens, then all bets are off, right? You can, you can justify a lot. And I, I think, I'm not saying they're equivalent, but I'm saying there's parallels between that process that happens in a war setting and that process that might be happening in a social setting where there's such a you know, pronounced schism between different factions for whatever reason. This time it's, it's vaccines, another time it could be religion, another time it could be race, you know, and so on and so forth. But once, once hate's introduced, people can justify any behavior, right? Once you hate somebody, sure. their existence is effectively worthless to you. Or, or maybe if it's, it's even worth more if they don't have existence, right? You, you would prefer that almost. That's kind of what hate is. Yeah, I mean, I for the last couple of years, my kind of like personal characterization of like the definition of hate is simply an absence of love. Right. It's just like once, like, and so to kind of break that down a bit further, I, I also have recently over the years been like really trying to make a huge differentiation for people where it's like words are powerful. I mean, you've, the Buddhist philosophy is like, Thoughts become words, words, actions, actions, deeds, deeds, destiny. So like in that totem, words are the second in line. Like you should watch your thoughts, but then words, because those thoughts become words. And, and I find particularly in American culture, hate is tossed around really arbitrarily. It, but like if hate really is an absence of love, then just simply throwing around the word hatred is a powerful tool in a bad direction in my mind. So I've been really, really consciously trying to, I no longer use the word, but like I've tried to consciously like introduce that thought to other people as well. Like maybe you just strongly dislike. And, and I think once you come to that place where it's like hate is the absence of love and if you aren't in a mode of hate, then in my mind, like what human beings are is divine. Like we, we are in essence love. So to be in hate is to be separated from your nature. And like once you return to your nature, which is a state of love, it's like there's a strong differentiation between liking and loving. Like I love all things, all people, I, I just love, it's what I am. But in finding that, I've also been able to, to understand that I, I don't like everything. And that's okay, because disliking something doesn't lead you to those same conclusions that you just defined, where it's like, once you introduce hate, all bets are off. But like, once you introduce dislike, that's fine. Like I can yeah. love something and dislike it and everything is hunky-dory. Yeah. Well, as, as you say, I mean, I think when you say something like, you know, we are love, I think some that will resonate a lot with some people and other people will not be able to contextualize or comprehend that very much. But I think, you know, I understand it to, I understand it very similarly. And I think when you say dislike, that's kind of your ego person, just having a preferential difference between things. That's not, that's not speaking to 
what is behind the ego that is that eternal thing, right? That eternal thing is love and of love and all and, and unity and that kind of stuff. But as individuated people in the world condition right. differently and, and in having different experiences, of course, we're going to have different preferences. And I think that's right. where, where something like dislike is, uh, is applicable and is absolutely normal and fine and all that kind of stuff. And it can even be agreeable. I mean, to, to dislike something is the start of change. It's like, I dislike something and let's talk about it. But if you don't love, if you don't start in that place of openness, then there's no room for growth there. Because if I, if I go in without that like ability to be open to this thing that I don't like, this idea that I don't like, I can't actually affect anything there. Because if I'm unwilling to let it in, if I'm unwilling to actually absorb it, even if it, like, I have to be willing to let it change me before there's any real possibility of the potential for change external. And if I go into a place where it's like, I hate this and I'm going to change it, I'm going to change you, we're getting nowhere. Right. Um, the point where you're on your bed, right? And you said, you know, you'd been there a number of times with suicidal thoughts. Both in the moment and in hindsight, what were the thoughts that were leading to that potential action or conclusion? You know what I mean? Like, what was it in you that was causing so much uh, discomfort or stress or, or frustration or anxiety that led to that those thoughts being a potential option great question <laughs> um it's a tough question i think hey, you don't have to <clears throat> answer any of this by the way we can move on to other stuff so just let me know yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a useful question to answer i think it's just <clears throat> to like exactly remember the the, the mind-oriented thought process versus the visceral feeling are, are very different things. I, I clearly remember the kind of the visceral feeling of just like worthlessness, but the contextual, like what was I thinking? I don't know if I was thinking anything, but what I was feeling was that there was just no point. Like, because I was so separated from love, I just like hated everything. I hated me. I hated what I had been in the past. And because I was shoving it in this box and trying to ignore it what i was honestly doing was holding on to it like instead of accepting it which is what allowed me to let it go to like to realize that the things i had thought the things i had done the places i had been everything i had been in the past that don't define me right now yes they happened but i can make peace with that and only in doing so am I actually able to return to living in this present moment to make possible some better future. So the longer I held on to all of the things of my past and refused to accept that I had thought those things, that I had been that person, like until I was willing to do that, I was unable to make any kind of progress in my own life. And in that moment, it was essentially just like, I think it was the start of that conclusion where it was just like, man, I hate even me. Like I hate what I've become and what I'm doing. And like, what, what is the point? Like, what am I doing here? If 
if I hate even me and my own life, then what is the purpose of this all? And in that moment, a little voice returned and it was just like, hey, well, hey man, maybe try something different. And um, at the time I was 245 pounds, 170 over 90 blood pressure. Um, just again, just a raging like anabolic machine. And I had this thought process where I was like, you know what, if I'm going to get any bigger, I need to be more flexible. <laughs> Joe, Joe Rogan's been talking about this yoga thing. Maybe I'll check that out. And like, this is where my mindset was. This is like how kind of fucked up I was as a human being. But like the very first yoga class I went to, I saw a little profile picture of the girl who was running the class. And I was like, I'm going to go fuck her. I was like, that's <laughs> that, that was my motivation for my very first yoga class. And, uh, and I wouldn't honestly, beat yourself up about that one. It's pretty natural with the yoga girls. Yeah, they're cute, man. But honestly, I got to that class and it changed everything. I like walk in this 245 pound bodybuilder and here are all these like soccer moms that are doing things physically that I couldn't imagine right. doing. And then it progressed. It became like this spiritual thing. It was like these women are also genuinely really beautiful souls like that, like the work that they are doing on a daily basis to kind of better themselves physically and mentally was really useful for me. And when, when you made that decision to try something new, you go to the yoga class, you feel it, <clears throat> you're humbled by the experience to some degree, you know, your perception is, is widened a bit. Did you know at that moment that you had left that previous ideation behind and like you'd found a path that was going to be more productive to you? Did you have a sense that this was a correct way to go? Not immediately. I knew something was really positive about yoga, but I didn't like, I don't think that fully contextualized idea had formed for weeks, months, maybe even a year. I, I went to that very first class and I left that class. I was like, I like that. So I went to two classes the week after that. Uh, again, I was like, okay, there's something here. Three classes the week after that. And at the end of that week, I started to notice that that little mood improvement I was finding after class kind of stuck around through the weekend. So I went to five classes week four, like literally every day of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And at the end of that week, that was where it was like, okay, there's something here. So I guess technically four weeks was where subconsciously I was like, I need to really know more about what is going on in this space and what it's doing to me it took yoga teacher training to really kind of break down the, the walls of the past to start working on the present. And that was over the course of the next four or five months. Right. And did the year or years of travel come before or after, you know, what sounds like some meaningful experiences with psychedelics and sensory deprivation and that kind of stuff after Okay, so let's go from yoga to presumably having these experiences for the first time, or at least this powerfully for the first time. What, what, what was the circumstances around those? Are you, what? I'm not sure I understand the question, like around psychedelics or? Yeah, you've, you've mentioned a couple of times that they were instrumental and I'm presuming they fell in between starting yoga and the travel, right? So, you know, how did those yeah. help? Uh, reframe where you were at at the time you know coming out of this <clears throat> obviously darker period and less healthy lifestyle to a more you know a more healthy pers perspective on things let's say 
yeah, I think the psychedelics are an interesting inclusion because <clears throat> I've had conversations with people during my travels about the the wrong path of spirituality the fact that i like used psychedelics was the wrong way and i was like you know what man like the way is the way like and that's just the way so like who cares how you find it whether it be through some acid or some mushrooms or eating some pot cookies or what like whatever it is but now in hindsight looking back while i do believe that the way is the way and just like i did it my way I don't really know that psychedelics played a significant role in that change. They just played a role in that change. Like they came about through just continually looking to be more open. Like, and that was found really in the yoga studio for me, like the, the constant journey of more openness. Most of that was happening through yoga psychedelics just were like a supplemental thing that I found along the path of being more open. Like I didn't have a very long or a very deep journey with psychedelics. I did all of them a handful of times with people I was really close to um, leading up to DMT. And then I had a few, I, I guess, I mean, words don't really describe any of these kinds of experiences correctly, but I basically had similar experiences to what a DMT experience is, but I had them with no drugs. I just had them through my own meditation practice. And the last and most memorable time was, was right before I left on my travels. It was, I was like a week and a half away from going to Europe, which was the first destination on my journey. And I was in my van in San Francisco. I laid down, I started doing my meditation and I disappeared, well, at least the I that is like associated with the physical being and physical presence and like the attachment to Kyle Murphy. And I just was, I was nothing but void. And yet I was everything. And I came screaming back into this existence with the thought you're going to die. And I like, I was just like back in my body in my van. And again, another one of those things where it was like, how do I interpret that? Like, what does that mean? In hindsight, I don't think it mattered what the interpretation was, but viscerally what it did was that was the moment for me where I was like, okay, all of these experiences I've been chasing, like I'm, I'm, I was always doing the DMT and the psychic psychedelics, all of them were about like getting back to that place. But it was that experience during my meditation where I realized that that place is here. It, like, it's just, you're always there. Like that psychedelic state, if you will, like the totality of everything is this waking moment right now. It's like, I was trying to get to some place that I could just simply be by being. Uh, that's, uh, I don't know if words did the right job there, but. I think you did a great job. and. I feel like I understand very well what you're trying to articulate, even as hard as it is to, to articulate. Um, and so the, <clears throat> the year of travel comes up. What, you know, what kind of things did you encounter, learn, change during that period, if any? Yeah, I think the year of travel, probably some of the biggest takeaways. Um, well, I really, for me personally, it was just like this ability to kind of slow down, to 
focus less on, I think it was a continuation really of the experience I had right after that, that meditation where it was like, again, I, I didn't wake up with the, like the conclusion of like, be here now, but like that was the catalyst. And then my year of travel really helped me develop that. It was like, be present, stop trying to chase something out in the future and just like enjoy this moment that you're living in. So that for me was probably the biggest personal takeaway. The other big takeaway was that my subconscious thought of that imminent revolution really not only crystallized, but grew. Because I had always had this feeling that the revolution was a US-based revolution, that something in the US was broken and had to change. And my year abroad really introduced me to this idea that things are broken everywhere and something has to change everywhere. And again, as I traveled, Bitcoin was a constant kind of recurring theme, as was money. And everywhere I went, money was broken. People were upset with the financial system. A lot of it was convoluted with the political system. But if you really focused on what was being talked about, it was the money. It was the financial system is broken. And Bitcoin kept reappearing as the potential solution for the problem that seems to exist everywhere. So I came back after my year of travel, like in a much more present place with a deeper understanding of the problem. And the problem was that financially, the whole world is screwed. And, and that's why shortly after my return, within like four months, five months of my return, the market crashed and the rest is kind of history. It was just like time to dive into Bitcoin and really figure out what the things I didn't know that I knew I probably needed to know. Mm -hmm. And just for my own curiosity, where did you travel to on your travels? You mentioned Europe, you mentioned South Africa. Where else did you go? Yeah, so I started in Europe, in Eastern Europe, um, then South Africa, and then Southeast Asia. So Vietnam, Thailand, Indonesia, Sri Lanka, and then some really long layovers in a couple of cities in China. Right. What year was this? That would have been... 20, 19? 20, I would have left probably late 2018, returned late 2019. Right. Right. Did you go to Phuket when you were in Thailand? I did. Because I yeah. would have been there at the time. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, Phuket, yeah. I love, Thailand was beautiful. Yeah, Thailand's awesome. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious, the... the Bitcoin, the Bitcoin rabbit hole is obviously extremely deep, you know, and we keep trying to conjure up ideas and analogies and perspectives and metaphors to help us understand what it is more. And seemingly there's no end to the interpretations that you can place on Bitcoin that actually fit very well. And obviously when you encounter an object that has that quality, it begins to elicit a response that this thing is extremely meaningful, right? Perhaps of the utmost meaning, you know, it winds up in the, the domain of, let's say, the, the religious or the spiritual, et cetera. I'm wondering for someone that's had the experiences that you've had and the perspective that you seem to have, how do you in interpret, you know, broad question, but what Bitcoin is and its significance, its relevance, all of that kind of stuff? 
Yeah, it's a really great question. And I think I've had this conversation with a few people recently and it is like the only person who maybe has seen the bottom of the rabbit hole is Satoshi, right? It's like Satoshi may have seen the bottom of the rabbit hole because he, he probably built it from down there up, right? So there's that, but, but getting more serious in that subject is like what, mm-hmm. what Bitcoin has kind of become for me is I don't look at Bitcoin as like the first layer of importance being money, even though like the money is what's broken and the money is what needs to be fixed. And, and I'll come back to this thought process in a minute, but like what I personally have started to view Bitcoin as like, there's kind of like, for me, there's three layers. There is what Bitcoin is first and foremost in, in my mind is that it is actually this living thing that acts as a guiding set of principles for all of humanity. There, there's like this overarching kind of like set of principles that most people find when they truly get involved in it. Beyond that, it acts as a network that allows all of humanity at a global scale to work and grow and develop together that guiding set of principles. And then just as like the cherry on top, it also works as money. <laughs> and, and that's kind of like how I view Bitcoin today. Now I've, I've had conversations with a few people on Twitter that are like, I like, they're like, I agree with what you're saying, but like the only reason that that works is because it fixes the money. And like, that's what draws more people into it. And really, I guess I've come to the conclusion where it's like, I don't know that it matters which direction you organize that, like top up, bottom down. Like, right. I think as long as you get involved, I don't know that it matters. Like it, whether you get involved because you are looking to fix money and then you find that the network helps you grow your principles with other people who are doing the same thing or whether you find it and it's principles that lead you to a better money, it seems irrelevant to me because what it is in either direction is the same thing. Yeah, I think that's a great point because as you mentioned those three points, you know, what came to my mind was, well, what if, what if that's what money is meant to be or can be right so you could say that like that's what money is the the those principles that everyone adheres to as well as that network right it's just that we haven't had something we haven't had a money that fosters those things before so it's not within the existing definition you know but you know i mean the the question what is money right like that's it's such a big bitcoin question some people have tried to dive down that rabbit hole Yeah, it's it's a good question. What is money? And I, and I think yeah. I think we're figuring it out. I think what money is is being redefined as we as we speak. So yeah, exactly. And it's so for me, you know, kind of backtracking to your own journey. Like I always held out. I was always kind of counter establishment narrative, right? And I always felt that there was something more. Right. Surely there's got to be something more to life than kind of what's being offered through the traditional, you know, means, right? Go to college, get the job, do the family thing, all that kind of stuff. And I held on to that. And at times that's difficult, right? Because at times you're like, well, fuck, I'm, I'm not really, I'm not really getting a great answer to that question. You know, you know, your faith kind of gets tested. And for me, you know, Bitcoin has certainly answered that that question in a very powerful way and kind of proved the the 
you know, the, the, the validity of the persistence, I guess, that, that I had. And I think that applies to many of us. But what's so fascinating and just rich about it is that it is, it's such an unprecedented thing. It's such a broad and deep idea. It's such an impactful phenomenon that like it's conjuring up just all this novel thinking and, and, and questions in all of us, right? Like we mentioned earlier, I don't know if we were recording or not about how much you know, time we spend on Twitter and kind of what that dynamic is. And there's, there's many answers to that, but part of it is like, we are all, are all incessantly curious about all the different variables of this thing. And then you find people, whether it's doing podcasts or articles or artwork or starting businesses, around this thing and asking these questions and like basically becoming philosophers and entrepreneurs and all that kind of stuff that you never would have identified as those things but you're so pulled in by the power of the questions that surround this thing that you know what what the people on twitter and the quote-unquote bitcoin community and the network seems to be to me is like all these people that are just on an accelerated path of refining both themselves and their understanding of this thing so, so that they can have a greater understanding of it, right? So they can, you know, to your point earlier, inch closer to the truth of this thing. And what if mm. inching closer to the truth of this thing inches you closer to a broader truth beyond this thing, right? And that's kind of the idea of a transcendental object or like an ontological object that has that capacity that through it, you gain an understanding of even broader truths. And as to the reason why, it's, I think at least partially because that thing is a distillation of a variety of truths that help expand you know, perception or, or understanding of a great many things, right? It's like, it's like that idea of that analogy that can be applied almost anywhere. Well, what does that mean for the analogy, right? What does that mean for the, the depth of truth of that particular analogy? So. You know, I, I'm just, I talk about on this show a lot, the, the transformations, the personal life transformations that uh, people have and why I, I was so interested to dig into the finer points of your own journey, because obviously there's many things that can cause transformation, right? Life experience, psychedelics, yoga, family, love, all that kind of stuff. And now Bitcoin is in that category of one of those things. And it seems to be you know, particularly powerfully in that category, just in terms of how broad the impact of the transformations uh, it's having on people. And, you know, I think that's an extremely fascinating phenomenon that, um, you know, th those of us who are deep in the weeds, deep down the rabbit hole in this thing are the first to be experiencing, but by no means do I think the last, you know, and I think ultimately what this becomes is a new, a new culture is emerging and we are the first ones to be changed by this thing that will ultimately bubble up a new culture through the transformations that we all experience and then express. And, you know, for, for someone like myself, who when I was younger, I was so disheartened by the state of the culture. You know, I was like, this culture offers me very little. I, I, I'm very, you know, I disagree with a lot of the aspects of this culture and it was disheartening, right? Because you feel alienated or incongruent with the world that you're, you're forced to kind of engage with. To see a culture emerging through individuals that 
you know, uh, are honest and pursue truth and are open. And, you know, a lot of the things that this community is about, a lot of the, the sentiments that you shared in this conversation, like that's really exciting. I feel way more, you know, congruent with a culture based on those things. And I think we all either consciously or subconsciously feel that too, which is why we all want to engage in it, right? We want to work at Bitcoin companies. We want to mix it up on Twitter. We want to contribute to this thing. We want to connect with each other. We want to hang around and live around Bitcoiners because of that. And yeah. it's, you know, it's an, it's an incredible thing to be, to be around for and to be involved in. I can't disagree with any of that. I think, <laughs> I think at the moment, in this moment in time, it feels like we're at the, the point where uh, at least I feel like one of the most powerful parts of what's happening in Bitcoin is the community. It's like what everybody is doing individually and then like how that evolves into what you just described, the kind of communal movement towards something new. It's like I, we just had the the first club meeting here with the Capital Factory. We started the Austin Bitcoin Club. And at that first meeting, the thing that I said to the people that showed up was like, I find what's really interesting right now is that with the level of early that we still are, like people talk about that path dependence of Bitcoin, right? Like it's already kind of predestined where it's going. And yet to some extent, that path dependence is driven by the people that are here because we're the ones walking it down that path. Like if no one was interacting with it at all, then it's going nowhere. So what you just described really hits home because by being early, by being involved, by buying and holding, by building Bitcoin companies, by going to work at Bitcoin companies, by starting group meetups in your cities, like towns, neighborhoods, like get just getting together and deepening your understanding of it with other people who are involved. All of that is kind of playing a role in in the direction this thing's going to go. And, and that means it's like, you really have an opportunity right now to kind of decide where you want it to go. And I think that's really cool because as you said, like a lot of what exists now, I think to some extent was really forced upon us. Like the, the, the broken money system that's controlled by somebody else. It's like that culture created wasn't a culture created by choice by people it was just a culture created by the the incorrect incentive models created by an institution so i think it's going to be a beautiful fascinating like transition and one of the things i'm really optimistic about because of the values of bitcoin is that like this transition of power may be a relatively peaceful transition to that new society because a lot of times throughout history transitions like what we're describing are not typically all that peaceful yeah i agree and i think it's a hope of many of us that, that you're right if i'm speaking pragmatically or or rationally or probabilistically you know the just the the, the entrenchment of both those institutions that you referred to and the entrenchment of the the perceptions that have been fostered by those institutions in the minds of individuals makes me think that it's going to be turbulent no matter what and you know when there's turbulence and when there's chaos you know not dissimilar to uh, a military setting you know all it takes is a spark and then <clears throat> you know there's division and 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 bad things can happen i obviously hope you're right 
you know, we'll obviously see, but kind of along those lines, I'd, I'd love to ask you because you're, uh, you know, you're, you're in Austin and the topic of conversation that I'm having a lot lately as I've been traveling the last several months um, is where to go. You know, people can see that things are kind of destabilizing. And of course, with the COVID stuff, there's been a ton of craziness everywhere and people want to insulate themselves from the craziness and obviously, and, and, and also be with a group of people that they can trust, you know, and also rely on for moral support and all that kind of stuff. Because I think we all know by now that hanging out with Bitcoiners and having the opportunity to talk with Bitcoiners is therapeutic, you know, for the soul. And, um, you know, a lot of people are, especially Americans are talking about Texas because it's sort of planted the flag for, uh, you know, uh, valuing individual freedoms and, you know, second amendment and all of these kind of things. It seems like a good place to be if you're trying to live a, a relatively free life in the world today. And then of course the non-American Bitcoiners are kind of thinking, well, where else, you know, what smaller countries or rural environments and that kind of stuff. Um, what's, what's your sense of what's going on there in Austin? Obviously there's a lot of Bitcoiners there. What, what's your take on the whole, like, what I think is, is genuinely the, the foundation of this emerging Citadel network that in 10 years time will probably be a very robust economic and, and trading network amongst, you know, citadels all over the world. Yeah, I agree. I think Austin at the moment for me, I mean, as far as anywhere that I've been feels like if it's not the epicenter of the world for Bitcoin, it's most certainly the epicenter of America. Like as, as far as like places where Bitcoin is thriving, this city even if you're not like seeing Bitcoin signs in every window of every restaurant, which I aim to change, but like what, what, like what we're seeing here is just like the, the, the Bitcoin energy vibrates. It's like businesses are coming here. People are coming here. And I think there's already so much here that we're, we're nearly, if we're not already there, we're at that point of like critical mass where there's just so much of it concentrated here that it's just going to continue subsuming more and more and more of it. So I do agree that I think it seems semi-likely at the least that Austin is going to kind of be the first development of like the, the Citadel style city-state direction that I think the, the future of Bitcoin and what it creates is heading culturally in society. As far as where to go, if you're not coming to Austin, I mean, the, the challenge of any major city in a kind of transition, like what we just talked about, is there's a lot of people here. If shit were to actually hit the fan, it doesn't matter how like entrenched Bitcoin is, like the more time we have and the more entrenched it becomes, the better the outcome. But I think we'd need a lot of time and a lot of development to really be insulated from like an apocalypse style crash of everything we know. So the, the slower and the steadier, the better. Cities are challenging in that sense though. So if you're looking for really being insulated, if you're like a full on, like I see the crash coming, I wanna be safe, then like being outside of a city is a better option. You wanna have as much isolated land between you and neighbors as possible. You wanna use that land to your benefit to be as self-sufficient as possible, like you had on Untapped and um, and some others doing the the agriculture stuff, and it's like that's the way. I mean, you got to be able to grow your own food, 
raise your own animals, do your own hunting, do your own fishing. Like all of those kinds of things are beneficial if you're talking about a collapse in society. I, again, I'm optimistic, like a total collapse of society is not coming. But to kind of wrap up the answer, I guess the way I look at it is like, ultimately, I come back to that place of like, what's out there in the future is really irrelevant. The future is not a place I've ever been. Like I've never once gotten there because as soon as I get wherever there is, I'm just here. So I think really it just becomes a personal choice. Like you are here. Now, what do you want to do with that? The, the, the idea of freedom just is. You just are free. All human beings being in existence, like it makes you free. Your very nature is free. You're free to do whatever you want. Geographically, culturally, politically, there are different consequences to actions made. But if you want to do anything strongly enough as a human being, you can make it happen. Your, your potential is limitless. So again, then you just come back to this question of like, what do you want to do? Where do you want to be? And like, how can you best situate yourself for that truth? And right now for me personally, I want to build in and on Bitcoin and being that Austin is that epicenter, being that Austin has the amount of people and capital and everything that's happening here inside of Bitcoin, at this moment, it makes the most sense. I like the idea of having farmland, being self-sufficient. Those are goals I have, but they're longer term goals. And right now, I feel like the best thing I can do for me and for the movements or whatever you want to call it at large is to just be as active as possible inside the space. But, but the answer to your question really is 100% dependent on your own individual experience. I, I can't give a clearly defined answer for the perfect place for everyone or even anyone else to be. That's just something you kind of have to figure out on your own. Yeah, well said. And I, I agree with that. Um, what are you, you know, I think because a lot of us feel that way, right? Whether you're still in your normie fiat job and you want to somehow shift to Bitcoin, um, you know, everyone wants to be involved in this 24-7 and contribute to it in some way and, and all that kind of stuff. So what is it that you're doing in Austin now? Like, what, what, how are you making that contribution or, or working in the space? Yeah, the, the, the two places or things <clears throat> that I'm most actively involved in right now, and I, I just finished, yesterday was my last day uh, doing my fiat gig um how was that so, exiting oh man clocking out last night felt pretty great <laughs> I, it's it was uh it was a i think that's maybe the tweet job. i saw and i was like we should talk you know this is a great time to to speak to to someone like kyle um for sure well, so i appreciate we'll, yeah. you reaching out it was great i like uh it was still a terrible day at work but it was the least terrible day at that job that i had in the the totality of that job because like the whole time every time i found myself like getting a little mad or a little uncomfortable or just like a little like i can't stand this job it's like it's cool man this is the last day like the last couple packages i was literally sprinting people's packages to the door what were like, you doing so close that's delivering for amazon right right yeah it honestly like when i first got here i got here and probably 50% of the reason I landed in Austin was just the BitDevs meetup down at Unchained Capital. It was like, mm -hmm. there's enough Bitcoiners in this space on a regular basis that uh, like that energy, 50% of the reason I landed here. And then it was like, it's amazing how fast things change. I've only been here for like four months, but in those four months, it went from like, I'm going to get inside a Bitcoin company to, okay, 
like I got here, the kind of the crash off the all-time highs kind of happened. All of the hiring for a short period of time lulled out. I needed inflows of money because like the transition costs and like getting myself situated. I had some issues with my truck's uh, energy. So like I had some serious cash flows go out. I needed to be able to replace those cash flows. The first job that became available was just a quick job delivering for Amazon. I was there for only eight weeks. Like I got myself balanced out, situated and like things developed positively enough that I was like, okay, I'm comfortable like taking that loss of capital inflow to like free up my time. So in that same time frame, that same like eight weeks, I went from like hoping I could find work inside of like a already established Bitcoin company to kind of recrystallizing my like my more subconscious understanding of what I really want for myself, which is I don't like working in Bitcoin, helping Bitcoin grow. Like being paid in Bitcoin at something like maybe Unchained Capital would be a step up from being paid in cash at something like Amazon, but it's still not what I want. Well, I want to build my own things. I like to build. I like to be creative. Like my mind and my body function best when I'm just like pursuing my own things. So it kind of crystallized that thought of like, no, I just need to focus all of my time and all of my energy on building something myself like my own things and the two things that are taking up the most of my energy and time right now that seem like they really have potential to go somewhere is i'm co-authoring a, a book on bitcoin towards the audience of service members and veterans and i have also launched as the co-founder here the austin bitcoin club which is like it's a once a month gathering capital factory it's it's like the idea was to kind of build a place where Bitcoiners could get together. It started with literally my thought was like, dude, I'm going to tweet people about like, I'm at a park hanging out under the trees. Like if you just want to kick it with other Bitcoiners, like come hang out. <laughs> and, and like, I met somebody else who had like the same idea. It was like, there needs to be more places to just kick it with Bitcoiners. And, and in eight weeks that turned into like, we're being hosted by capital factory. We have the floor space here. We've got, mics and cameras and like it's a really cool space but like i needed something like again 50 percent of why i came was unchained capital and their bit devs meetup but for me somebody who's not like actively really like intellectually involved with development like i like to know what's going on behind the scenes and bit devs is great for that even if i don't fully understand it but i i personally needed and wanted something that was less developer oriented just a place where it was like i want to do some like class type things like some educational type stuff but like really intro level stuff like why bitcoin like how cold storage why cold storage running a node lightning implementation the kinds of things that i think are going to be necessary and useful to just be a bitcoiner and and the kind of the goals that have come about over the last eight weeks as far as Austin Bitcoin Club is concerned is like we'd like to have these classes develop the tail end of this the time frame that we have allotted for our meetings is just like okay we have 30 minutes of class we have like 10 minutes 15 minutes of like back and forth questions if you have them get a little interactive and then we got 45 minutes to an hour of just the room's open I'm turn off the mic and just like network just like meet other Bitcoiners hang out have fun and we'll go from there 
And then what we'd really like to do and where I think it could go from there is like once we start getting a consistent group of people who get some of these fundamentals, like I, I don't know enough about running a node. I don't know enough beyond that. I definitely don't know enough about like using Lightning and its implementation capabilities because what we'd really like to do is start trying like secondary meetings beyond the meeting that we have here. And again, this is medium long-term, but what we'd really like to do is kind of try and start our own little like uh, Bitcoin beach style, like go down to Rainy Street here downtown and just like turn Rainy Street into Bitcoin Street. Like take 20, 30 people once every other week and like just show up and be like, hey, listen, none of us here uses dollars, but we all want to come here and like eat and drink. Like let us show you how to like get set up on Bitcoin so that we can come in here and start spending Bitcoin in your establishment. And I think if you've got the right sized crowd that's coming in on a regular basis, that's like a really viable direction. So yeah, that's, that that's some of that where we're at right super now. Cool. I got last one for you, man. And then, and then I'll let you go. But what, um, how are you framing a book about Bitcoin for veterans? Like what do you, what is the unique angle you, that you're going to be pursuing there or the angle uh, that you're going to be pursuing? Yeah. I don't want to give too much away for the angle, but like, really the kind of it's it's along the lines of what i said with the club which is that like it's really intro level stuff and honestly a lot of what we're doing with the book is kind of trying to what we did was we kind of went with like something i heard jeff booth say when he was talking about the price of tomorrow which is like it started like just brain dump bitcoin everything i know about bitcoin just write as much as i can about bitcoin and it started to become clear to me that like just diving straight into Bitcoin wasn't, it wasn't really going to work. So what we're kind of trying to do is really frame like the, the life of somebody financially in the military, like all of the kinds of things that are typically understood and will be well known, like they'll correlate with people in the civilian world as well. But like the, the references made will be very, um, very tied into things that happen in the military. So we're just trying to get into the mindset of the service member, trying to really show like examples that make sense to them using language that makes sense to them to show them the problems. Like mm -hmm. I would say that's really kind of the focus is like a majority or bulk work of the, of what we're creating is like trying to really introduce the problems that exist financially so that we can begin to introduce the concept of the solution through Bitcoin. Nice. Nice. Well, man, uh, this has been awesome to connect with you. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate how open you've been. And it's been awesome to hear some of your story and motivations and all that kind of stuff. Was there anything you wanted to share, dig into or discuss before we shut this thing down? On the spot? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> I appreciate you having me on, man. It's been a great chat. I enjoyed this a lot. Yeah. Well, look, man, I'm sure we'll do it again. And uh, I'm going to have to make a visit to Austin before too long. So when I do, I'll definitely hit you up and uh, we'll jam. We'll hang out again. For sure. Sounds good, man. All right, brother. Take care. Cool. Later. Cheers. Cheers.